April 28th, 2022. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Now, you knew this one was coming. The City Museum with Rick Irwin. The museum is celebrating 25 years this year. Some new wrinkles, a little bit for everyone in this conversation. We talk about the past, we talk about the future. If you are new, my name is David Oliver, and this is my playground, Overtime with Oliver. Welcome back, Overtimers. Thanks for spreading the word. The Missouri National Guard is sending an undisclosed number of M113 armored personal carriers to Ukraine as part of the drawdown of DOD inventories to provide immediate military assistance to Ukraine. I like it. I'm not a smart guy when it comes to this, but why in the world is Republican Senator Eric Burleson trying to take out the state's hazardous waste management laws that were put into place because of Times Beach? I realize this is not a sexy topic until it becomes a deadly one. Keep your eyes on New York, where the Democrats just lost a battle in court trying to pass a new gerrymander map. Ironically, maybe this will set precedent in pro-Republican cases, which there are significantly more. You say you do not know anybody who has walked enough miles they have walked the circumference of the planet. I can. Congrats, Rosby. Three things you should if you have not. Two series that'll mess with your head. Severance on Apple. Imagine if you only had work memories and only outside of work memories. Nothing shared between the two. No idea at all about the other experience. Adam Scott once again taking some out-of-the-box chances. Russian Dow on Netflix, also a thinker. Not anything like the plot in season one, but the excellent writing stays the same. Natasha Leone as Nadia, perfectly cast and acted. Number two, I am not a fan of this unnamed chained. Can I give its name? But I do like how they toss their fries and tater tots in canola oil, rosemary, oregano, and garlic powder. I'm not throwing away the ketchup, but this is now officially in the rotation. Time to thank the sponsors. Vital, as in who is vital in your life. How do you tell them they are? Friends, family, client. Check out the website and get the best customized water bottle out there. Detachable base for storage in various colors. Oliver gets you 10% off the checkout. Proceeds go to fix our local foster family issues. Vitalife.com. V-I-D-L-L-I-F-E.com. So, you want to host your own podcast and don't know the first thing? Let my team do all the work and you have all the fun. We can do it at one of the two studios with state-of-the-art equipment. If your company only needs a couple things to put on the website, we can do that. We also have the ability to throw in some promos and commercials on 590 The Fan. Email me and stop saying what if. OT with Oliver at gmail.com. And number three, if you like this episode, I'm sure you will like previous ones with The Aquarium, The Magic House, Crown Candy, OT with Oliver, wherever you get your podcasts. Today's guest, creative director of City Museum, Rick Irwin. Been there, seen that at the museum, and that's saying something. Here's a question. Have you ever gone commando because someone stole the largest pair of underwear in the world from you? Listen up. We talk about the legacy of founder Bob Cassily and his untimely death, how his first date with future wife was at the museum, how much fun it is to see City Museum swag outside of the state, some great had-to-be-there stories, and what the new director has and works for the museum, including the ability to now take tours. The City Museum is one of a kind. 
as is our guest. Welcome to the Overtime family, Rick Irwin. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. Happy Monday. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. How are things at the museum right now? Coming off of COVID and everybody kind of back in the... My daughter informed me that she's out of school in a month. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. I guess late May is when time's out. No, things at the museum are good. We're um, hitting some some decent numbers, you know, coming out of COVID and everything. We've uh, It's allowed us to continue to work and expand on a number of our projects and stuff. So we're doing pretty well. You've been there how long? Oh, I've been here 15 years. I was the GM, director, El Jefe, whatever you want to call it, until <laughs> November. And then I stepped down and became the creative director, which is by far the cooler role when you consider only Bob Castley's had that position. I mean, you can be creative director at a lot of places, but if you're the creative director at the museum, uh, that's saying something, something. You don't even understand the pressure of saying the creative director at City Museum. <laughs> when signs go out, I'm like, ah, oh, I hate them, but I can't say anything. But yet I need to say them because I'm the creative director. So no, it's, it's definitely difficult here, but you have so many, so many people here that are so talented. And, and there's just so many ideas all the time coming out that it's not too hard. What does it entail? I mean, what are you responsible for? Basically, I run our day-to-day -day, uh, operations with the crew that builds and the building maintenance. So like Mary, Leaf, Matt, Ricky, any of those guys that are out there building slides and attractions, I work with them to see what we're doing. I work with our corporate office on designs. And then, you know, just overall, the, the upkeep of the building and the history. I've kind of turned into the old man that just tells stories right now. That's <laughs> what's going on this year um, as we, you know, acclimate the new GM and everything. But it's just a lot of fun of getting to be hands-on all day with the museum, which I haven't been for so many years. 25 plus years. Obviously, you can't do a podcast documenting St. Louis if you don't talk about the museum. One of the things I, I thought when I first went to the museum was, who the hell thought of this stuff? <laughs> I mean, just, let me get inside this guy's brain. Tell me what you can about what it was like the first time you walked into the doors. Well, so the story of my first time at City Museum was it was my first date with my wife. Oh. So I did not live in St. Louis and my wife was looking for things to do. She knew I had an art degree. So she recommended we come here after going to the boathouse. So my first experience with City Museum was a date as a guest. And I remember it was, it was multi-pricing. So it was like a different price for the caves, outdoors, general admission. And I couldn't afford everything because it's like 24 bucks. And uh, <laughs> I remember being a little too big for some of the tunnels to show off. Right. And uh, I remember climbing around the caves. And ultimately, I remember sitting out on the patio and having drinks to the cabin and stuff like that. That was, that was my first experience. And then years later, when they asked for my resume, you know, I, I never applied for a job here. They came to me twice. And I turned him down twice. And then when I finally met Bob Castley, that's when I took the job. I mean, the guy could talk you into building him a building, you know, just whatever. He just had that so much charisma that I wanted to work for him. And see, knowing that I'd probably be fired within three months, just knowing the history of the museum. But <laughs> it just worked out for us. So, yeah, I, I was fortunate for five to six years, got to work directly under Bob, really got to, you know, kind of see how everything works and, and, and just 
how he came up with ideas, how he dealt with his crew and, and, and some of his long-term ideas, you know, and some of the history of the museum. So I was very fortunate. It was weird during that time because I didn't have any kids. So, you know, at that time, my, my Bob years were me blaming all the parents for losing their kids. My <laughs> after Bob years, me having kids, understanding that we are the reason the kids got lost. So the wife-to-be suggests that the first date is at the museum, correct? Correct. She was wanting to find out some dexterity things. She was trying yeah, to find she, out your prowess. I remember we walked right in the cage and had to start climbing a tunnel. I was like, I'm too tight for this tunnel. I'd have to back <laughs> out. And then we, then we climbed around a little bit more. And I remember sitting out on Monstro and it was a, it was a nighttime, of course. And it was a, it was just fun to watch the activity out there. I'd never seen anything like this before. Um, I had, I'd lived in Atlanta. I'd, I'd lived in Tennessee, but I'd never seen a movie going on on the outside. This DJ over here, these people like being like these young girls being pushed down and then bounced up really high with these, uh, you know, like surgical tubes. It was, it was a crazy thing to see. So a stupid question as creative director, you ever walk around the halls and just say, uh, we need a little bit more energy. We got to pep this thing up a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I for quite a, quite a bit, actually, you know, there's, um, there's a story that there's a song called uh, LCD sound system. I'm losing my edge. So a few years ago, I felt like city museum was losing its edge. And every day I listened to that song and, you know, just trying to find those things that were missing. What were, what were things that we had to stop doing or, or something that happened, you know? So we, we looked for that all the time. And I worked with a guy named Leaf, who's also known as Castley crew. And, you know, we'll look for things like there was a rope swing. We had only two of them up and we were like, something's off. And then we realized that we were missing the third rope swing. And so we go put that up or we noticed that one of our slides is off, you know? So it's constantly looking for that energy again. Got to turn this mother up, man. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, what is IAAPA? Oh, IAPA. Okay. okay what is uh, it? International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. So I used to thumb my nose to them, you know, when we were pre, pre-premiere because we, we didn't like to, City Museum didn't like to be, you know, put into a, any kind of category or anything. But as I've gotten to know the organization and be quite a bit more involved with it, there's a lot of people that are involved in it that are just like City Museum or, you know, City Museum-esque. So it's, a, it's an a amusement park. Uh, it, it encompasses zoos, museums, uh, you know, water parks, and just normal attractions. And so it's just an organization we're part of. And when the City Museum is thought of outside of St. Louis, it's got an aura to it. It's got a feel to it. It's, yeah, it's an odd thing. Like, um, you can be somewhere and someone will recognize that you have a city museum item on and they'll want to talk to you about it. Hey, Rick, somebody it's, just got their wings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it throws me off because it's like, I just, what is that? I'll sure, um, try to figure out how to turn that off. It's okay. Um, but anyways, no, like I, I've done speaking engagements in like uh, Denver at the Children's Museum of, and, and in the front row, somebody will have city museum t-shirts on. It, it's, I, I was going to uh, Iceland with my wife. And so we're sitting on the airplane and the lady next to us had a city museum wristband on it. And so of course my wife has to bring it up, you know, like, so did you go? And she goes, yeah, I went basically from LA to St. Louis to go to city museum and then off to Iceland. Uh, we once had a guy who was riding a bike uh, in Colorado and you know, they were doing like cycle, like, like century rides, like hundred mile rides. And at the end of the night, he walks up and he sees a guy wearing a city museum t-shirt and he goes, you know, like, wow, like, do you know city museum? He goes, it's my second favorite place in the world after like the Grand Canyon. 
No, just the, the areas that I run into city museum or, or somebody wants to talk to you about city museum. It, it's, it's fun. And it's really exciting. Not to disrespect my own city, but city museum being in St. Louis is interesting. It's not in a cool place, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bob loves St. Louis. You know, he said he couldn't do it anywhere else right away. Um, yeah. I, I don't think St. Louis would be the first thought for me of where this place would be. You know, you, you definitely would think somewhere LA. Um, but yeah, no, here we are downtown, you know, four blocks from city hall. <laughs> we're, we're right in it. You know, I'm a kind of a fan of the buildings, the international shoe buildings. I got friends that work at the last hotel across from you. Yeah. And I think that in and of itself was a great place for Bob unknowingly maybe to start because of all the rich history that was in those buildings when St. Louis and shoes were kind of synonymous. Yeah, not a lot of people know. Like, um, we can tell when law school starts every year because there's always a crop of freshmen that come to the building because the international shoe uh, is one of the, the first lawsuits they learn, you know, is intercommerce about sales tax and stuff. So, yeah, we see quite a bit. The history of the building, Tennessee Williams worked here when he wrote The Glass Menagerie. Yelton Giant was a spokesperson for the company. So a lot of history. And at one time, it was like the world's largest shoe distributor. And the hotel itself, gosh, man, all that money they put into it prior to the pandemic. I yeah. really hope they can. It, it seems like it's coming around. Uh, we talked about your field trips and my daughter, you know, being done with school. What was the best year for the museum? And what are you projecting for this year? Did you get into that stuff to get into the weeds on that stuff? Uh, I used to, well, so prior to premiere, I'd never had a budget. So that's another great thing about city museum. Everything was just on a credit card, but our, our best year, I believe was 2017. And that was 858,000 guests. Wow. You know, and so we're, we're well on track to beat over half of that this year, you know, so we're still doing very, very well. Um, we like probably like a lot of organizations are budgeting low, you know, and then trying to just maintain within also staffing issues that other people are having you know but that hotel across the street man yeah so you know we used to own that building or our ownership used to and we go over there play hide and go seek in the middle of the day man it was fun it was such a beautiful building and it still is uh the seventh floor was where the uh you know the ceo like lives and i, I think the rumor was there that he died in office when he found out they were the world's largest shoe company um yeah just a really <laughs> nice building I wish I could get my hip back from over there. It's one of the five best bars in St. Louis. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, really it's gorgeous. Yeah. You ever had drinks on the pool top? I have, yeah. Nice. I've, I've went over there and watched us and watched them go over there and watch their spot. So, yeah. All right. So 25 years is what we're celebrating and tours, <laughs> which, again, when we're talking about revenue, hey, it's unchartered. You've never had it before. So maybe that'll help the bottom line. Talk about the tours, what you know about the tours. Yeah, the tours are something that we've been trying to do for a long time. You know, uh, part of me stepping down and everything is trying to get all the information I have in my head out, you know, and, and making sure that someone else knows that information. And we have Maria Castley, who would be Bob's daughter-in-law. You know, she's just got this already this tie into the family. She's an archivist. She's a librarian. But so she's been going through our photos 
and just our history and just collecting all the odd stories. And she won't tell you everything that's real and everything that's false because that's part of the fun of the <laughs> tours. I mean, we actually talked about having one tour that was just all lies and you got to figure out which one thing was the truth. Um, I think even I'd have a hard time with that one. Um, but no, they're, they're these like hour long sessions that we just started with. And in, right now you get to do them with Maria who knows the most information and she's so engaging. And you, you literally get to ask questions of everything you've ever wanted to know. And she tells you some of the like the little secret things. And I think one of the things she's doing very cool is we kind of let her know some of our stuff that we're building out ahead. And she's allowing people to kind of see those things before we're finished with them. And there's some like back behind the scenes stuff that she's been showing. So it's, it, there's just been a lot of fun. You talk about everything that's always under construction at the museum. What, what do you add? Are you at 60% capacity? Or are you at less than that? Oh my gosh, way less. I mean, if you think about it, um, so the building is 10 stories and then we have the roof. So the first floor, only 50% of the first floor is used for the museum, the rest is storage. Same with second floor, that's 50%, the other 50 is storage, parking garage. Third floor is the only floor where we use all 65,000 square feet. And then mm. we use about another 25,000 of the fourth floor. So then we still have the sixth floor, the seventh floor. Eighth and ninth are right now have a, a tenant, but that doesn't mean we can't use them someday. And we also have the 10th floor, which was used to be windows off Washington, which right. at some point will hopefully yeah. reopen, you know, as our own catering facility. So no, we have so much space, even on the roof, we're less than 50%. You got to spend the extra five bucks to go on the roof, man. The roof is the roof is the key. I think as people watch what we're looking to do the next few years are really going to be changing the skyline of the roof. Like that's something that Bob wanted. We feel, you know, we're wholeheartedly a part of it. Premier feels the exact same way. We, we just love looking up because, you know, we're fortunate that on certain sites, there's nothing taller than us. So, you know, as once you hit 18th street and you look our direction, there's just us. And it's now as you look North, there's just us. So, I mean, there's so much we could add up there. You got to love it when somebody just leaves you a Ferris wheel. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, or, or I, I can horse trade for him. You know, I traded uh, the world's largest underwear for a smaller one. Um, <laughs> there's enough people out there that are always kind of hitting you up with odd things. Um, i trying to think what the, the craziest thing I got hit the other day was. It's like a 65-foot uh, Billy the Kid someone wanted me to take. And I'm still looking into it. It's just it might need more work than it's worth. I'm still looking into it. That's it, what a creative director does. All day long. I mean, it, you... you um, you can't pass any opportunity up. You just never know what's in there. That's just actually the way I've lived my life and my career is just to take every opportunity. So when people call and present something, if it's, if it's something small that I can't do anything with, then I'll have to pass. But if there's like 400 of them to a thousand, there's something there. There's a brick, you know, that's the way Bob referred to it. And uh, you know, if it's a 65 foot tall Billy the kid that looked great in the parking lot, our corporate office was cool enough that they allowed us to buy a rocket um, but we couldn't figure out how to get the rocket through the streets of St. Louis. I mean, this was a, a real NASA rocket that would have been taller than the building, but we just couldn't figure out how to get it around the corners. That's a problem everybody's got. Everybody's yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storage is, is just something I'm not hurting with. So give me, if there is one, a story where Bob's building something and you're going, I don't see this. I oh, don't... easy. You think that's not even hard? The easiest <laughs> story on that one is... All right. um, Underneath our freight elevators, there is, um, there's about an eight foot gap. Um, and so Bob and the freight elevators are within our, our, our uh, cave system. So 
he chiseled out a hole and then he had Leaf go in there and Leaf put a spaceship top in it with a glass on it. So when the freight came down, you'd actually hear the chains hit it okay. and you could watch the freight. So that was, we watched it come up and down and I'm sitting in there. And it, one of my favorite things is I'm sitting in, in this space with Leaf and Bob and Bob's like, I kind of wish I had a light in here. And I was like, man, it'd be cool if you had like one of those lights from like Spencer's gifts when we were a little kid that zapped your hand or, you know, it's too bad. The magic house already has like a Van machine. He goes, Oh, forget it. They tried to sue me once. Get me one of those. So the next morning we had a Van machine, but at the same time, it was like, Bob, there's no way the state will ever allow this to pass. And he goes, I know, I, I just want to build it. So there were times that he just needed to build something and get it out of his system, knowing that it was never going to go anywhere. But he just kind of wanted to see it. And I think we, we started to encompass that more and more of just being like, we really don't need to build this, but let's just see what it turns into. And that's kind of what has turned into some of our more fun exhibits. Anything in the museum, which was your idea, your, your acorn? That's, that's not anything like, um, no. I would say there are things that are my ideas, but we've always been City Museum, and so it comes out of City Museum. Uh, everybody for the, the team. Yeah. yeah, it is. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit about Bob. Again, talking about St. Louis, talking about the museum, maybe two parts I knew I wanted to get into. One was the creation of it, and then right now, today, what's going on? So if I've got these numbers correct or incorrect, please stop me. Bob and his wife at the time bought the two buildings in 93. 90, right. 96 of New Year's Eve was the first the public got inside to see what the hell was going on in there. I don't think they officially opened until October 25th, 1997, but I do think they had done some like after hours things, you know, where Bob just let people, because there were so many people like, what the hell is this dude doing? Because he'd have barbecues in the alleyway. They would work nights and then get up, you know, you got these groggy kind of like guys all covered in dirt and everything having barbecues. So that does sound about right. For the accountants listening, 69 cents a square foot. Yeah, somewhere around that. that sounds about right. That's a good investment. Oh my gosh, dude. And it's solid <laughs> concrete. That's what he was thinking. I mean, the, the reason we have the organ is because nobody else could take it. Because when the organ resonates, it could shake the concrete and break it, but not in this building. And so no, that's what really what he looked at. He was looking at like how strong it was. When was the first time, if there was a period first time where obviously it doesn't sound like Bob really cared, but you maybe as an outsider on the inside said, hey, we're onto something. You know, um, I didn't really know what I thought. When I came in 2006, I really just needed a job. Um, you know, I just came out of the Art Institute of Chicago. I lived in a different city than my fiance for two years. And I'd actually had someone else from another organization pretty high up in one of the arts organizations take a look at my resume and tell me I wouldn't get a job here in St. Louis. And mm. then three weeks later, here I am at City Museum. I knew something- Hold on, stop, stop for a second. What gives somebody the impression you can't get a job in St. Louis, air quotes? I think basically I have such a weird background. I mean, I've been to the Middle East shooting documentaries. I've worked at a combat boot company. I'd only done two years in the Art Institute of Chicago. You know, it wasn't a, a crazy resume for someone looking for something in St. Louis. And I also think, you know, that's 2006. What we've seen development here in St. Louis since then in arts and everything is it's really opened up the field quite a bit but so 
I, I think when I really, really started to figure out that there was something special about City Museum, is the first time I, you know, I'm out with my wife and they ask what she does. And she's an environmental scientist. I think she's pretty cool. But then when they find out what you do, that's all they want to talk about. And so at that point, I kind of was really learning about St. Louis and City Museum and how big it was. And then I guess the point that it really tipped an edge for me was mm. I'm sitting in Beatnik Bob's right now. We've been working on re-cleaning re it up and everything and we're going to reopen it. We have the world's largest underwear in here. So one weekend it disappeared. And so I went on camera, I think it was with KSDK and they came down and they're videotaping me. And, and so Richard Callow is our PR guy. And at the very end, he goes, say that you will not, that you'll go commando until they're returned. All right. So I, I go through the whole article. I like, go through the You whole tell article. them you, I would have been like, you tell them you go commando. Uh, well, he always tricked me in on little things like that. They're always like things that come out to get me later. So I go through the whole thing at the very end. I go, and I will be commando until it's returned. And then like three days later, this is how I knew that we, we were kind of more popular. The little girl, Heidi, who lived next door to me, she comes over and asks me, she's like eight or nine, if I'm still commando. I don't even know if she knows what that means, but she had <laughs> seen the thing. And so I, I knew once the kids and actually people started asking. And then just when I started traveling around the world and you start seeing city museum or people would ask me to come speak, it, it kind of came more and more like what it meant to people. And it's just kind of grown. We really saw a really big jump between 2007, eight, nine, um, just the resurgence of getting Bob back in the museum. He'd been focused on cement land for a few years, you know, and um, getting him back in and, and adding a few things really pushed us back up. Cement lands, what are, what's that? So cement land was up in, it, 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 it borders North St. Louis and Riverview. And so it was the world's largest cement factory. And so Bob had been building a whole other attraction out there that was fully his. And so um, there was pagodas that he had taken from the, the uh, concrete hoppers and flipped over. It was right on the river. He had a bridge that went over the river. And, you know, he talked about doing a, uh, a restaurant out there, huge silos. There was one room that was so big. So, you know what the puking pig is here in, in the museum? It's that big thing that tips over with water. Okay. So he had a building out there that was so big. It made me so uncomfortable by that size that he was going to use a, a uh, dump truck bed and fill it with water and have it dump out instead. That's how big it was. It was just gonna be this really cool, and it was beautiful at the end of his life. And unfortunately, since that time, people have broken in a lot of graffiti and it's not had the upkeep and been for sale, but it was a beautiful property. All right, the following question is gonna make my wife nervous. We're uh, 20 minutes or so into this. I get the museum. My kids have loved the museum. When I was athletic enough to be in the museum, it didn't exist. Yeah. Is there a part of the danger of being in the museum part of the allure? Actually, it's funny, you know, having now 15 to 16 years here, what people think is danger. And, you know, we played up to that for a long, long time. It was a different when Bob was alive. You know, the element of danger was what made it fun. You know, he, he went with that. It's, it's actually a hell of a lot safer than you think. Um, we go through quite a bit of playground safety training. Narso training, um, that the slides and everything we do are, have been looked at both by insurance companies and other third parties before they even get to the public. So, you know, we, we may play up to it quite a bit, but we've done enough and become the experts that they're really, really watched. So, yeah, I would say 
appearance, you know, and, and the aspect of saying the illusion, illusion of danger is what he used to go with. Yeah, it's definitely a big part of the city museum. Take as long as you want. What was Bob like as a person? Oh, man. He intimidating as hell when you first meet him. Um, like you wanted to be in charge? Yeah, well, just, it just he, he had such a passion and such a fire. So, like, he could fly off the handle in a matter of seconds. I mean, I've had the guy swing at me, you know. But at the same time, he's like a cuddly bear. I mean, he's just this guy that, like, once you got into, like, his, um, his sanctum, he took care of you. Like, I, I know stories of him, like he, when, when, uh, my first, when my first child was born, Bob was still alive. So this is 06. And I find Bob in the garage and I'm like, hey, Bob, you know, I just want to let you know my wife's pregnant. And so he goes, uh, my condolences or congratulations. I don't know your feelings on Ooh. this. <laughs> and then, so I was like, no, I'm very, very excited and stuff. And, and that's Bob what you say at the beginning. You don't say that after the kid's born. After, after no, the, after the, the train has left the station. He's not been born yet. Oh, so, okay. um, but so I was letting him know. And then he started to be like, he had some other like stuff going on personally. And uh, he started to soften. He wasn't the same Bob. Like he'd call in the morning and be like, hey, I really appreciate your work. And I'd be like, that's not who we are, but I, I enjoy that. And then, you know, he would think about you. Like, so one day he came back, I met him in the garage and, uh, in between the garage and he goes, Oh, oh I, I got something for you. I'll be right back. And so he, he runs out to the garage and he comes back and he's got this rocking horse. He had just came back from a salvage job and he goes, I was going to make this for you. And I, I really regret having ran into him that day in the garage. Cause I would have loved to see what I would have got from Bob, but you know, so the idea is he's on a salvage job and he saw something and he thought of me, like the guy's got so much going on that he thought of me for like a few minutes in my child. That's, that explains who he is. And so the funny part of the rest of that story, he comes in, he brings me the, the rocking horse and he's like, hey, uh, here's what you do. Go in the shop, fix it up, tell your wife you made it and then take it home. And I go, Bob, that's why you're on wife number three. And my wife knows I can't make these things. <laughs> so I, and so he just laughs and stuff, but you know, he, he was a wonderful guy and he would do, I really feel like if I ever needed anything from him, I could have called him and he would have, helped out he was just that great a moment maybe looking back in retrospect city museum doesn't exist if not for bob is there a moment where you really felt it was because of him that it it got to the next level oh without a doubt there's 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 no way that city museum would have been here if bob had asked for all the permission you know okay. he he had that he had that confidence in himself and to get through it. And that he's just that charismatic that he can work a politician, you know, and, and talk and, and, and he could fulfill what he was saying, which is one of the things. So no, 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 definitely city museum is here because of Bob creativity city museum is here for the long term because of American million and its financial support. So, you know, even as when city museum went from a nonprofit to a for-profit, it still struggled. And that was American Milling, who was the silent partner of City Museum that kept it going. They believed in Bob and his vision, and they worked through it. That was Bob saying hi. Yeah. Uh, where were you when you found out he had died? Oh, my gosh, man. I was in my office. I got a phone call from Richard Callow, who asked me if I was there. And I said, I don't know what we're talking about. And so he, he, he broke the news to me. Uh, I went down to the second floor or at the third floor. I was in the vault in the skateless park. 
called my wife and just said, told her what was going on and then just hung up. Oh, you're gonna make me cry, man. And then um, I remember going back upstairs because we had not, we had to let American Milling know and we had an American Milling rep named Mike Sheevy in office. So I remember walking up into Mike Sheevy's office and we had an employee, Devin, just telling him to leave, telling Mike. And then it was decided that I should call all the staff together and tell them. So I didn't tell them why. That was the worst. I just remember calling all the staff that was in the building. And that took about 30, 40 minutes to get them. And then calling some of Bob's, like calling his close friend, Scotty, and telling him that he shouldn't leave town. This just happened. Miss Lori, who is our front desk attendant, is just wonderful having to let her know and then finally standing up in front of all staff and having to tell them i wish i would have been quitting i mean it would have been a much easier thing that day but yeah that was it it was a tough day two last questions about bob and then we'll talk more about uh where the museum is and is heading at the time some mystery in regards to what may or may not have happened what do you think foul play not so much no foul play. Um, having known all the players in it, having known the person that found Bob, and, you know, and knowing Max Castley, you know, because he's part of the story. It, it, Bob had rolled that bulldozer a few times. I mean, I've, I've ridden the bulldozer with them when it started to roll. Um, it never rolled on me. Uh, but so no foul play. Obviously, there has to be concern on where you go from there. What was that room like? Woo, that was a tough one, man. We made two phone calls to people to make sure we didn't mess it up. We called a guy named Tim Samuelson in Chicago. He's a cultural historian of Chicago. He was a friend of Bob's. Um, we, we felt like he had some good knowledge. And then we called a guy named Hank Nickermeyer. And so Hank Nickermeyer was the father of Kurt Nickermeyer, who was a crew member of Bob's. And I believe he was a professor of Bob's at one time. So Hank, having known Bob, having had a son that worked at the City Museum and known the history, having both of them come in and kind of tell us, what would be the right track and what things we could do um, to mess it up was a really good thing. And what was really, really cool about that whole process was Hank made us think about things that we had never thought about before, Dave and I, <coughs> that materials dictate what we build. I never thought that we went to the scrapyard and we looked at things and it'd be like, oh, that looks like a turtle or that looks like a, a snail. It looks like a slide. That's the way we operated. I'd never really thought about that until we had those opportunities, those conversations. So it, it was a tough conversation, but it was really, really good. All right. So really good article last week in the Post-Dispatch, talking about the tours, talking about yeah. what's going on at the museum. I'm going to steal from them. They highlighted a couple things, right? So I say Privy Museum. What do you say? Privy. And what do you say? So the Privy Museum is of course everything found in outhouses. So we haven't built it out yet, but um, there's a guy who's been collecting. And you know, do you know the Compton book like from 1893 where the guy flew over St. Louis in a hot air balloon and he, he drew every building out? It's amazing. And so when you look at that book, you can kind of see where there'd be outhouses. And so he went up there. And so the guy with us, he collects all this stuff. And I mean, we have bottles. We have, uh, my favorite is this pretzel flask that we have. Um, and so these are in containers. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna face them side by side and we're gonna turn it into look like an outhouse. So when you walk in, you feel like you're actually walking in an outhouse. It gives more context to the privy because people don't understand what a privy museum is unless you explain it to them. I need your enthusiasm, dude. And I need your pep. 
<laughs> it's, it's just fun. I mean, think about it. Like we could put the smell of sulfur in there. So it stinks a little bit. You could make like individual sounds. It's all, it's, it's about the, the final touches that makes it so exciting. Just as itself, it doesn't get there. But when I think about someone going in and hearing a little or something like that, it just makes me laugh. Well, and going back earlier in the interview, when you talked about having a tour with all lies, I think it's hysterical. Yeah. So people don't know. It's, it's a point that I don't know what's real anymore at times. No. Like I remember one time telling a story with Bob with me. He goes, that's not the real story, but stick with it. It's much better. You know, I, I mean, who knows what's real? As far as you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. The lightning rod fin finial. Finial. Okay. What's that about? There is a, there uh, over in architectural museum, there is the lightning rod case from polar ice. Polar Ice is the building that Bob sold to the Botanical Gardens to buy this building here. So it is the piece. And there's only one other one. Greg Romberg at New Way Lumber, uh, New Way Rentals has the other one. But it is the piece that was sold to get to where we are now. All right. Uh, I grew up on Vesoda, and yeah. Vesoda is a part of the museum. Explain how. So Vess, I mean, it's just up the street. I've been trying to steal that sign for 15 years, you know. Um, Vess is just quintessential St. Louis, you know. And that's, so, so, that's so museum. Don't think about buying it. How can I steal it? <laughs> well, I mean, if no one's going to respond to what you want, I mean, it's just up the street, you know, uh, Eat Right's closed. They have these great ski signs on the side of them. I want to steal those too. Uh, doesn't mean I'll steal them, but if they go missing or someone drops them off, uh, uh, I might have a checkbook. I will trade you the world's largest underwear for a sign from Eat Right. That happens all the time. I'll make that deal. <laughs> you got a 76-foot long pencil. Yes. So the, the world's largest pencil was a donation to us by a guy. I, I, I'm going to get his name wrong. Asharen. Uh, he holds the Guinness Book of World Records, largest Guinness Book of World Records. And so everywhere. So like uh, pogo sticking underneath the ocean. He holds that Guinness Book of World Record. So this guy, he donated to us um, years ago. It sat in our parking lot. Um, and so now it's inside. It's like the graphite is solid. The eraser is solid. We have to sharpen it with a chainsaw. But you could come in, you could take a piece of paper and actually write with it. He also donated to us the world's tallest seesaw, which we've never put together because even that seems like too much liability for even us. And then the world's largest tennis racket, which unfortunately that kind of came apart because it was laminated plywood. So it kind of delaminated and fell apart. How many world's largest things do you have in the museum? Oh my gosh. I, you know, if we, I don't even know if they're real or we just make them up anymore. Everything's the world's whatever here. We have like some kind of issue with it, but I do know the guy that owns Ripley's. And um, so we've been talking about what we could do. At one time we had the world's record for the longest Ferris wheel ride. Um, you know, uh, world's record. I don't know. We have so many of them that just come through all the time. You know, it's interesting too about the museum is it, it's half a day. You can get, you can't hit everything, but you know, four hours, five hours, you see a lot of it. And unlike some other places, no disrespect to other places, you can go back the second time and do a totally different four to five hours on things that you didn't get to. That's for, for sure. I mean, you could focus one day just on all slides. You could do next day just all weird attractions, collections that we have, you know. And then on top of that, you have the circus, which performs two or three times a day. 
the rooftop pinball hall. Uh, I agree with you completely. There's multi-level days of what you could do here. Has there been any looking into, not the Magic House, because that's a younger audience, but some kind of a St. Louis weekend package that includes the arch and the aquarium and you guys? Man, you're speaking my language. I have tried forever. There needs to be a city pass downtown without a doubt. Every major city has one. There needs to be something with the aquarium, us, you know, you could do a St. Louis Cardinals behind the scene museum tour. I, without a doubt, I do not know how to make that happen because I'm not that guy, but I definitely think there needs to be something like that. And you could all the way up to Forest Park. Well, and you talked about Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. it includes the museums. So you exactly. can do shed and you can do the museum. It would be the, the, the greatest thing that we have. Yeah, we just need it. And then tie it with the trolley system that they have, you know, the bus trolleys. Yeah, not the other trolley. No, no, I, I want those trolleys. I'm still trying to get them. And we're a little bit off uh, topic, but I think civic pride comes from something like that. I mean, when you're in Chicago and you buy that pass, you're you're touting why you bought that pass. And when people come and visit you, you're bragging about your city. I just think, again, it's different entities and there's different bank accounts. And but it just kind of seems like, you know, can't we just all get along kind of a deal? I, I also think just coming out of COVID, it's the right time to do it man right. i mean it's just a good time that we all need extra staffing and, and, and guests i mean we could all put together a package that would work pretty well all right going back to the post-dispatch article who was magnet 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 a was a dog yeah dog a dog yeah magnet i believe was the dog of stephanie von Dresen. wow yes you're correct there is a dog buried outside, so I thought that's where you were going to go with me. Underneath the castle out front, to take the cornerstone, which was from the Booter building, I had to take the dog that was buried underneath of it. All right. Bittersweet. Last, last part of the Post-Dispatch article. Uh, there's still a chalk outline on the concrete column of the first floor of the museum. That's right, yeah. Um, so I, I was fortunate to get to watch Bob during, you know, how he worked in mosaics and stuff. So he would come in and draw... But yeah, on the third, on our first floor, halfway up the column, there's still part of a drawing that he did. Where does one go in the museum and just take a minute and enjoy the vibe? Um, I'd say the best spot is when you walk into the caves for the first floor and you're standing at the crystal and you look up. That's a real, you can feel the energy. You got kids, you know, and, and adults climbing around you and then you got everybody sliding above you. That's a really good spot. Of the 800,000 people that came one year and have come consistently before and after, how many are from out of town, percent-wise? Quite a bit. A lot of our uh, uh, visitors are from out of town. And so that's why we follow the same kind of bell curve as everyone else. Did you got to deal with the last hotel in regard to people wanting to stay over? Well, we, we back and forth. You know, last hotel is on another uh, ownership thing right now and another right. GM. So I think trying to just like all businesses right now trying to get stable again, it's probably not the right time, but it's definitely something that could happen in the future. I mean, it'd be a wonderful spot for brides to, you know, stay over there, just cross the alleyway bridge and get married over here. So I think there's definitely a long-term plan there. Everybody likes to leave a mark, man. Everybody wants to leave something that people can say, Hey, Rick, Rick was here. What's your, what's your thing? Has it been already I, happened or has it already happened? 
No, 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 no. I would prefer not to be around. I, I, I mean, people didn't even know I existed. Nobody knew I was the director of City Museum for so many years, man. I've done a nice job hiding out. But my marks here at City Museum are my, my daughter's name is on a fish downstairs and my son's name's on a fish. And that's probably about as much as you'll get out of me here. What's your daughter's name? Daughter's name is Anne and the son's name is John. How old are they, give or take? Anne is 10 and John is eight. So they both grew up here. Um, I mean, Tyler Town was built because Bob had just passed away and I just had a child and had to have a place for Annie to play. And, you know, just like every parent, I've lost my kids here. I now feel every parent's knees when I climb around and have to chase them. Um, so, you know, I, I've got to experience the museum as a dad, which has been a hell of a lot more fun than just being the GM. You know, Rick, it's been a while since I was, can you rent knee pads at the museum? We don't rent knee pads and we have to sell them because everybody kept stealing them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we still have knee pads. So you got the two kids, 10 and eight. How many times did you take a phone call from another parent wanting special treatment for their kid's birthday party? This is interesting. So we just had this discussion the other day. It's the parents that don't call me. And then I see them here that are friends that they get the special treatment for me later because they didn't make the phone call. Um, but yeah, there's quite a bit. It got to a point where I, my business card just became completely black. My name was even jet black. My email was jet black. And on the back, it said one free pass. I didn't want people to know where I worked and I didn't want people to ask me for tickets. So I just was giving them that. <laughs> What's underrated about downtown? People come and visit you. Obviously they want to see the museum. Where do you also take them? Oh, I love the Campbell house. It doesn't give enough. It's so cute. And it's just up the street. I think it's wonderful. Um, I also, I don't think this is too hard to understand from city museum. I love the architecture downtown. So I love walking up and down Wash Avenue with guests. The other thing is my family builds, my father-in-law's built sports stadiums. So we built the Cardinals and now building MLS. So, you know, taking family there is a big thing for us. That MLS thing is awesome. Your dad's involved with that? Yeah, my, my father-in-law uh, is a cool guy that got to build sports stadiums. So yeah, he was the owner's rep for the Cardinals. Um, he's done PNC Park. He did the remodel of Kaufman. Gorgeous park. Yeah, PNC is one of the greatest. One of the Absolutely. first early bricks. Right. Um, Cleveland, uh, you know, and so doing MLS now with uh, that group. It's going to be really nice. I, I'm really excited. What a good location, Union Station. Uh, should bring quite a bit of traffic. And, you know, as they start to fix that area, you know, it should develop out towards us in downtown. You get two tickets and you get a buy one, get one at the museum. You do. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the buy one, get one. I've, I've, I've always, um, I think that's the GM in me because uh, <laughs> I got to make that money to, to pay for everything. But no, it's a great way to experience it and stuff. And there, I, I love being at the front. Um, and watching guests come in and sometimes you can tell they just can't really feel what the museum is and be like, you know what, come be my guest for the day. And at the end of the day, they're like, thank you so much. You know, it was a highlight of the trip. We probably wouldn't have done it. So no, buy a friend is a good way to go. You know, because we talked about the football stadium. Here's the one thing that blows my mind. There's some really smart people who realize they could get that much into such a small space. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed by how they were able to get that huge thing in such a small yeah. space. I think dropping it down, I think they dug pretty far down to get that, you know, that, that upage, which got them all the square footage. And then also, you know, I think putting the practice fields, you know, on that unused area where the uh, 21st bridge came around. Right. Right. Really right. helped out. Anything different about uh, the museum now coming out of COVID 
I think the thing that people who have been here before will notice it's not active anymore is the ball pits. The ball pits have kind of been, you know, a back and forth on whether people feel comfortable with them coming back or, you know, or don't. So we're still kind of feeling that out. Um, but right now we're focused on giving more to the guests in food and beverage. That's where I'm spending a lot of my time building. And then as soon as we get done with these projects, we're going to go back into slides. There's like an 80 foot slide sitting in the garage, ready to be put on the side of the building. You know, there's a mini Ferris wheel that I told you earlier, I traded the underwear for. There's a smart carousel in there. There's a lot of things and a lot of guys with ideas here, just ready to start knocking them out. I so wish I had something cool to offer, but I, I don't have an 80 foot slide in my garage. You never know. You, you might find something. Just keep me in mind. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Appreciate the time. Love what it is that you do. Thanks for the information about Bob and his history. Tours are really the new thing. And they're not expensive. It's like seven bucks. No, and you don't. You know, you're always be on with like Maria, but and, and she's doing a nice job. You may run into myself and get something or leave. She makes sure that you got like a secret or a good story out of it every time. She's always finding one little bit of information you might not have got on that last one. And if you don't go on the tour, then God bless, have a good time. I think I would go on the tour because it would make then the next four hours more interesting to me. You do start to realize and recognize where things came from, and it makes it a little bit more interesting, yeah. You do a lot of these podcasts? Every once in a while, not so many, but yeah. I love the energy, man. Appreciate the time. Thank I had you. a good one. You too, man. I had a great time. And another one for the books. We'll have some fun next Thursday. New fun, new interview. Feel free to bounce around previous episodes and check it out if you have not yet. As we do, thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.